welcome to Demond Does. We're having a COVID conversation on mental health and in the tradition of Mary Church Terrell, George Edmund Haynes, and Thyra Edwards. Here is Tia Williams Hampton, or as my kids call her, Aunt Tia. <laughs> Hey, Demond. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I am fabulous. I am amazing. Good. Actually, Good. I am amazing. And I'm even better now because I get to talk to you. I, I, uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, Tia and my wife are friends in high school. Have been friends since high school, and I got to meet her through through her. And she is one of my favorite people that I don't get to talk to very much. And I've been trying to get her on this show for a little while. She turned me down flat without even saying, without batting an eyelash the first time. So I had her husband do it. And she said yes. (laughs) Oh, that was terrible of me. (laughs) No, 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 no. I I tease, I tease. No. no, I just want to make you laugh. Well, I'm excited to be on. I, I appreciate it. I don't really get to talk about this work a whole lot, so I'm I'm excited to be on today. Yay! Um, Yay. I, and I, I and another selfishly selfish reason is I always feel smarter after talking to you. So I figured I'd share that with other people so they can get a little bit of what I'm getting. So. That's awesome. You know, this is this is a partnership, so I'm definitely um, getting something from you too. So it's a it's definitely an equal exchange, um, whether it's feeling smarter or just feeling better. You know, so I I love being on the show. I'm excited for you, Demond. Period. This is awesome. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I've been a licensed clinical social worker since 2013. Uh, but I actually uh, began to practice in 2008. It takes us a little bit of time to accrue the hours of supervision, and you know sometimes life happens. So I've been practicing actually since 2008. Wow! Um, and then became licensed as a licensed clinical social worker in 2013. So I've been practicing in that capacity for the last, you know, altogether what was that? Twelve years, but um, seven years as a licensed clinician. Yeah. Gotcha. So, so question number one is, how do you describe your therapy method? Like, how do you access and choose which modality to use? That's the neat thing about practicing therapy is that it really depends on the the client, the needs of the client, and also what it is that they be willing to what what it is that they're willing to invest in. So, primarily, a lot of us use cognitive behavioral therapy, where we're looking at you know our thoughts and feelings, and you know how we respond to things, and how we want to look at those thoughts so that we can change those feelings, and then also maybe change our responses. Sometimes when we get into deeper issues, whether we're talking about issues of trauma, abuse, things like that, then you know we might look at doing taking some other approaches. So maybe EMDR. So if I've got a client that has some trauma issues that are showing up. And they're not really ones to want to really talk a lot with EMDR. You don't really have to talk. So that's eye movement desensitization reprocessing where we literally use eye movement to help reprocess some of the traumatic experiences that the person has had throughout their life or whether it was one one event or multiple events. And then if I have um, some folks that, you know, aren't into EMDR, I might, I'm really into parts. So I love listening to people and hearing them speak from different aspects of themselves. So I might use uh, utilize transactional analysis where we kind of 
look at how they interact with certain people or interact with people from their part. So this is kind of where it sounds a little Freudian, where, you know, we have a parent part, an adult part, and a child part. And it's, it's really yummy. I, I can tell you, I could talk about this stuff all day. <laughs> yummy. But it just, <laughs> it's, well, it's, it's yummy because, you know, I know that when clients come in, they're the expert on, on their own life. Oh. Um, they know more than I do. I know techniques or methods, and I don't really like to get hung up on that a lot. My approach is really client-centered, so we can just kind of freewheel it for a minute. But if I really see that there's uh, an area where we can um, work on, then sure, you know, I can implement some of those other specific treatment methods, like you know, like I said, EMDR, TA. I'm really, um, I'm really interested now in internal family systems, where we're looking at how our different parts engage each other. So that's just internally. So it's like how my younger part may talk to my oldest part or vice versa. So I'm trying to keep it as simple as possible. But there are, I mean, like literally hundreds, if not thousands of, of methods. But I call myself a collector sort of because anything that is going to help the men or women, and I mostly work with men, women, uh, adults, um, and, and some adolescents, anything that's going to help them to move forward is what I'm, I'm willing to do. But I really focus on developing um, relationships mm-hmm. and safety. So you can have all the treatment methods you want in the world, and you can be just as good at, at all of them. But if your client doesn't trust you and doesn't feel safe with you, then really you know, most of, most of your techniques are kind of in vain because they have to be willing to open up and be vulnerable to allow, you know, exposure really to their lives and to their innermost thoughts and secrets. So it's, this is really sacred work and it's really a privilege to do it because uh, anybody who engages it, they don't have to open up the way they do. And I've been really, really fortunate that most of my clients have that type of courage. So I know that was a really long way to answer that, <laughs> but I, I assess based upon based upon need. If they present with lots of depression, you know, we'll figure out what to do, you know, in that way. If they're having a lot of physical symptoms, then we might want to look at some mindfulness and, and approaches that address somatic issues. So these are where the body might respond. I noticed that many of my clients who have suffered a lot of anxiety and trauma, they've got a lot of issues with their um, with their gut. So a lot of uh, gastrointestinal issues. So it just really depends on on the need of the client. And, you know, we assess over time. We're constantly assessing. We're constantly assessing for changes or improvement. And you really kind of have to be open as a, as a therapist and a clinician and as a partner in this work because you can't really say what it's going to look like in the end. You can, you know, we, a, a good question I like to ask is, you know, what would you like to be different um, at the end of therapy. And it's, it's a really helpful thing because it actually helps us to establish goals. But we also have to realize that sometimes we'll get right there and then sometimes it'll look totally different from the way that you thought that change was going to look like. Mm. But we, we all move toward developing healthy change. That's what I do. <laughs> so what's a common misconception people have about mental health? Oh gosh, there's so many. Mental health means that there's something that there's something wrong with you. 
that only crazy people have to deal with their mental health. Here's a big one, and, and it really has to do with PTSD, that only soldiers, because it's primarily how it's been, you know, kind of kind of promoted, that only soldiers can develop PTSD when, I mean, anybody who has experienced a traumatic event or, you know, a series of traumatic events, childhood trauma, you know, anybody can develop uh, PTSD. So that was just something that was specific about PTSD or that you have to be severely, severely uh, mentally ill in order to seek help and treatment. So they can understand why someone who is presenting with symptoms of schizophrenia, so whether they might be have, have psychosis or hearing things or seeing things that other people aren't seeing, they can understand why they would seek mental health treatment because they're crazy, which is absolutely a sad way to look at that. But they're, they're sick people. But, you know, many of my clients, most of my clients are just like me. They're just like me, you know, just, you know, working well folks, living their lives and just have struggles with life transitions. So whether we're talking about grief, sometimes it's about aging, sometimes it's issues within marriage, sometimes it's having kids, not being able to have kids. I think that mental health gets treated like it's not a part of our general health when it's absolutely a part of our general health. So we focus on physical health, but we don't, we're just now getting to the point that we're looking at mental health being just as normal to address as our physical health conditions. And the other, the other myth is, is that the therapist is going to fix you. And, <laughs> and so I've, I've gotten that a lot. I try to cover that right from the top so that we can address expectations in, in treatment and therapy. So, so, <laughs> so, so unlike, uh, like when you go to a doctor and, you know, you have a broken leg, you know, obviously pretty much walk out if the doctor says, you know what, I'm not here to fix you. Yes, you are. You're totally here to fix my broken leg. Right. Um, even still, the doctor actually isn't there to fix it. The doctor is there to facilitate healing because the doctor doesn't really fix it. The doctor sets things up so that the bones can be set straight and then they put the cast on there and they hold it in place long enough for the body to do what it was designed to do. It's the same thing really with mental health. We are there to, you know, just really kind of look at, at what's going on and the body and the mind and the spirit and the soul are all are there to can heal itself if given the right conditions. As clinicians, that's what we're there to do, to facilitate a process where the conditions are set in the best way for healing. That's really kind of one of the best things in the world because it means that I'm not doing it. I mean, I'm not doing that. I'm just a part of the process of facilitating that. Yeah, yeah, just like, you know, I know, I know. At first it sounds like so simple, and then it's like, wow, like once I start really delving into it, it's, because it's a beautiful process to mine. Like even when it's challenging, this is like one of the most challenging things I've ever done in my life. It's a beautiful process. Even though it's not easy, it's difficult at times for the client. So, you know, sometimes my clients don't always leave feeling great or feeling good. They might feel tired. They might feel like they just opened up a whole lot of stuff, which they did. So I encourage them, you know, go and get some sleep if you can. Hopefully you don't have to go to work after this session. If they are coming in like before they have to go to work, I try to make sure that it's not a, a 
a really heavy session mm. because it's draining. It's like physical therapy. You know, if you're going to, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work, but it's, it's worth it very much so, you know, in the end, very much so. But I know that was a missed question, but uh, yeah, we're, so yeah, we're not, we're not there to fix, you know, we are there to help facilitate healing and change. That's what we do. So how can parents help their children deal with their feelings of anger and loneliness during, you know, this isolation period? And how, how do we explain COVID-19 to them? <laughs> I saw that question and I was like, I don't know. But <laughs> this is not true. When we think about children and, you know, our kids, the, the first thing that we want them to do is, one, besides being, you know, healthy and making sure that they're fed and clothed and all that, you know, is that they feel that they feel safe. And it's not even just for children, but I'll just keep it for children. Behavior is communication. Behavior is, is language. If they're having outbursts and if they're having missing their friends you know the first thing you know is to really validate that you know I can see that you're I can see that you're really angry that you're really upset I know you miss your friends and offer a safe space you know especially like you know Georgia's like really really smart she's really smart and she's very very observant and so she's absorbing everything around her because we're, we're wired really to learn and we're wired to absorb and we're wired to try and make sense of the world around us Kids are going to make sense of things no matter what. What we want to do is make sure as parents that we're helping them to develop a healthy adjustment and to normalize that we're all having, you know what, you know, we're all having a really, really hard time with this too. Um, you're, you're not the only one. And so, you know, it's, it's not strange or weird for you to feel this way. We're all feeling this way. And in that way, they don't feel like something's wrong with them. But as parents, we also have to take care of ourselves and be aware of our own responses because our kids are watching that as well. And so if I'm worried and if I'm anxious and if I'm angry, if I'm upset, I can have a normal response to that. But I also have to be mindful that anything that goes, you know, a little bit beyond what's healthy it's also being observed by, by my child, and they're going to absorb that as well. So I also have to take care of myself as a parent and to check in with myself to make sure that I'm addressing the things that I need to address and teach them that COVID-19 is a virus, and we're trying to do the best we can to protect ourselves from this virus that could make us sick. So you know how you get a cold or a flu or something like that. So here are some of the things that we can do. So you also want to teach them ways that, they feel like they have some bit of control. So, you know, making sure that, you know, that they wash their hands. And you can make that a fun thing to wash your hands. You know, I know some people have been making masks with their kids. So cover your face, wash your hands, and, you know, just keep a distance. And I know that sometimes the distance part is really hard, especially if you've got really, really affectionate kids. And that's really been the most difficult part for this is for that social distancing has been extremely difficult. And so we also have to look at how we help them handle the, the sadness of not being able to be with their friends. So finding creative ways for them to be with their friends. If you have internet access, I said, if you have, because some kids don't have that luxury. If you have internet access to do, you know, Zoom parties or use FaceTime. So it's not the same. Just like I'm, I'm doing, most of my therapist colleagues are using telehealth. And I was really resistant to that because I, I was like, oh, you know, it's not the same as being in the room 
with a person and, and being able to exchange energy with them and it's not the same, but it has still been rather effective. And it's not even the same thing as something is better than nothing. It can still be very valuable and just having the connection of hearing someone and seeing someone and just sharing moments is important. So we can do that with our children as well. Check in and check out. So check in with them. Um, I mean, I've got a teenager. And so I like literally have to like ask her, hey, how are you doing? And sometimes she'll tell me she's okay and I know she's not. So, you know, I'll just kind of say, you know what? It really sucks not being able to see anybody right now. And then it'll it'll just open up. So it's just kind of validating some of the things that they're going through and knowing that it's not going to be a perfect time. We're all going to have our moments. So we all have to be flexible in this. And I think that we have to be fair to our children when they're having a tough time too. They are having a tough time and they don't nearly have some of the tools that some of us do. And heck, even some of us have a difficult time with it. So it's just being flexible with them, helping them to feel safe, helping them to feel like they've got some sense of control over what's happening and, you know, just kind of take it day by day. I know that's not a perfect answer, but this is not a perfect world and this is not a perfect situation. We're all trying to use the tools that we have and the skills that we have just to make sense of this situation and, and how we're going to survive it. And that's the thing is that we're all kind of in a survival mode here because none of us really know. There's nothing like not knowing what's going to happen. And that's not the life that we were really living a year ago. We could pretty much count on school starting in August. If it was January, we knew school was going to start in August. Right. And so we're all kind of operating on that survival mode to continue to just kind of check in with each other and help each other to feel safe and be flexible because we're all going to have great days and we're all going to have not so good days. And that's okay because that's, that's what the human experience is about. This is a human experience, period. And when you look at it like that, the whole thing opens up. This is a human experience and um, we're all just doing it. How can we mentally prepare to start being back with friends, family, friends and family and in public places? That is a, such a good question, and wow, I had to really think about that. And I don't, I don't really know that there's a straight out patent answer to that. But one, one to figure out, you know, if you still have options. Some of us that may not have the option of saying, "Well, I'm not going back to work until such and such a time," um, but if there's if there's any room in that, so so say just say the city of, because we live in, in Jeffersonville, so just say the city of Jeffersonville decides to open everything up, you know, June the 1st, which I, that's not, you know, the plan, but, you know, that I get to decide, you know, whether or not I'm going to go to public events. I get to decide whether I'm going to do that. But when it comes to work, one, figuring out, one, how, how I'm scaring myself and what I can do to May my, maintain my own sense of safety because I've had to think about that as well. I work in a small office and when they began to open up, you know, I told some of my clients, I'm not coming back until at least June because just the thought of, I, I work in a small room as well, just the thought of kind of being in a closed space was a bit scary for me. But I think that it's normal to have a healthy, a healthy fear about things and to try to do your best to maintain all type of sanitary and disinfecting guidelines. But I, I think at this point in time, 
the world itself is a little bit scary. And again, because we don't know when this whole thing is going to clear up, what we're sensing is risk. What we are sensing is, is some bit of risk. So, you know, the best thing that we can do is, is one, if you do have an employer to see whether or not that they're having any type of guidelines with respect to, to cleaning and disinfecting and what are the guidelines um, with respect to, to masks and gloves and things like that, because there's a lot of things that have to change and, and switch. So what's the flexibility there? Are we going to do our jobs in the same way, in the same spaces? I, I think part of this concern is not really being sure, not only about going back to work, but how we're going to continue to do the work that we're doing. Um, and so there's there's a lot of concern about that. So I think it's important to kind of sometimes check the fear with curiosity. So I I used to say that too, you know, so, you know, I used to say like the opposite of criticism is not, you know, praise necessarily. Sometimes that middle road is is curiosity. Um, So I can say the same thing about fear. You know, what am I really concerned about? What are my real concerns here in a legit way, in a legit kind of adult grown up way? (laughs) What, what am I really concerned about here and what's within my power and, and control? What it is, what is it can I manage in order to help myself move through this process? Because the only way that we're going to really know how we're going to be able to do this thing is by going out and doing it if we have to. Just get curious about what's really concerning you and seeing if there are some real possible solutions to that. You know, our hope is that all of us either have employers or spaces that we can adjust so that we can feel just a little bit more safe trying to make money and take care of our families. That's the hope that we have. I know that was kind of like a roundabout answer, but, you know, just try to check what it is that, you know, that's really concerning you and see if there are some real solutions to that. And then I've had folks to leave jobs, you know, when they felt like their safety wasn't a priority. And it's also, you know, about that, leaving yourself some options if you can. I'm big on creating options. And I know that's not for everybody, you know, create some options if, if you can in order to feel safe enough and okay. Anytime we're feeling concerned, I think that the concerns that we have are legitimate. They're quite legitimate, but we just kind of have to figure out where our areas of control are and manageability as we step out of here. Because I, I said the same thing when this first started. I did not leave my block. I was like only stopping at the Dollar Tree and like this really, really local grocery store that has hardly anything in it except for basic stuff. But as the weeks went on, I was able to kind of assess whether or not it was safe enough for me to go out to maybe larger box stores. But I made sure I took my mask with me. One day I actually had to take some earbuds with my um, iPhone on it so that I could kind of calm myself and relax myself Mm. as well. And that's the thing, take things with you if you can that kind of help to um, calm you down. I'm really big on using the five senses, you know, whether candy or peppermint calms you down, chocolate calms you down, lavender, vanilla, again, music or just certain sounds, just different or I don't know, somebody like took like squishy stuff with them. So, you know, it's using things like that to maybe just kind of help you to calm yourself when you may start to feel a little anxious about things. And I'll always get back to breathing. Be aware of breathing and your breath. 
because it's important for us to be able to keep our feet on the ground. So just get curious about some of the things that might be concerning you and, and figuring out if you can develop some solutions that can help you move a little bit closer to being, feeling some sense of okayness mm-hmm. with being back in the space that you're in. And if you don't feel that way, it's just human nature is to, to try and, and survive. And that means that you're either going to tough it out or you're going to leave a space that you feel like is endangering you. And I don't think that anybody can uh, blame anyone for that. And so sometimes toughing it out is not the most healthy thing to do. It's not. And so you have to determine what's going to be most healthy for you and your family. Okay. Makes a lot of sense. Message. <laughs> <laughs> True story. True story. <laughs> yeah. Last question. When trying to get peace and feel informed about COVID-19, where do you have any suggestions on where we should go? Peace is kind of relative for certain folks. I do encourage people who have a faith belief really to, to, to pray, mm. really pray. Pray for whatever it is you need to pray for. Because there are so many things that are out of our control that those of us who believe in God or believe in a universe, we also know that, okay, these are the things that I can manage, but the rest of it, I just have to let go. I have to let go and just let God do whatever he or she or the universe is is going to do. I believe that there's power in information, but also be careful about the amount of information that you're absorbing or exposed to. You know, so if you just want to know basic information, you know, check, seriously, check the CDC website, check your local um, health department website. Usually they're up as well. I, I'm just really not big on looking at the news right now. That is not a professional opinion. That is just a, a very personal one because there's so much information there mixed in with COVID. It's like COVID murder, COVID murder, COVID murder. And mm. it's, just, <laughs> it's just a bit much. Right. Um, but in, and I know here here locally, like in Jeffersonville, Dr. Yazel, he has a Facebook page. So Dr. Y-A-Z-E-L, his name is Dr. Eric Yazel. He puts out some really good and comforting information, you know, on his on his page usually. So, you know, yeah, check the CDC website, you know, check your local health department. And you can also check some of your government websites when it comes to trying to figure out what the plans are in terms of opening. So, you know, when we were talking about what do you tell people when they're planning on going out, you know, look at what the rollout plans are. That's helpful as well. That can help you to really kind of determine what your steps are going to be and maybe what your expectations can be. Um, also knowing that, you know, again, anything can change um, at any point in time. I would say go to the internet and check those sites. But, you know, when it comes to peace, I don't think that peace can come anywhere but from your higher power or from from within. And there's a certain level of acceptance. There's a certain level of acceptance that can also give you peace. That, you know what, all I can do is all I can do. And if I'm doing the very best that I can to be okay, you know, as a person, as a mom, as a dad, you know, as a daughter and a son, and just as a basic human being and a citizen, then, you know, I can find some peace in that, accepting that I can't control everything, but there are some things that I can manage and the rest, you know, I'll just leave up to something and someone that's greater than myself. Um, And if I don't have something or someone that's greater than myself, then, you know what, I'm just going to do the best I can. And that's all I can do. It's the best that I can.
And that was Tia Williams, the <laughs> Jeet Kune Do Bruce Lee master of social work. Actually, wait, you know what? I'm actually I'm gonna walk this. I'm gonna walk you to that. All right, ready? Uh-huh, so you uh-huh. said when when we were just we were describing your uh, your therapy method that you take whatever you said you take things that you as you've been learning you take things that are useful use those and then everything else take the things that aren't as useful they take a back seat that's what uh, Bruce Lee did with Jeet Kune Do so you are the Bruce Lee of social work <laughs> oh wow well thank you you know everybody brings something you know to, to the table and and that's that I think that's what we all need to know is that you know we're not coming in with these deficits you know everybody comes in with a, a great deal of strength and a, a great deal of just you know, really, really good stuff. It's just that sometimes, you know, there are parts of life that really just kind of, you know, get in the way. And our our job is to use the strengths that we have and work together in order to to build up those parts of ourselves that are either just, just wounded or need development. So I believe all parts of us are, are helpful and useful, even the ones that we think are bad. They're there for a reason. You know, I, I appreciate that very, very much. I have really enjoyed myself, Devon. This is fun. <laughs> I want to thank Tia Williams-Hampton once again for hanging out with me and having that COVID conversation about mental health. I hope you got a lot out of it. I know I did. Uh, leave a comment. Let me know. And also, go to Apple Podcasts. Leave a star rating and leave a review. It's not for ego. It's for ratings. Although, if you do have a question, I'd be more than happy to hear it or answer it. And go ahead and take care of that. And until next time, see it, hear it, speak it, live.